In this episode of Josh Reads Other People's Published Poetry, I'm going to read Station Island by Seamus Heaney from his collection of poems, Open Ground. Just quickly before I jump into um, the reading of this poem, for anchor listeners, you're going to notice that this poem is broken up into sec- the sections of the poem are anchor sections for this episode. So it's about 14 or 15 sections this episode. Um, it's not 15 poems, it is just one long poem. Um, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or whatever Apple's podcast platform is or Spotify or any other platforms, you're not going to notice anything other than just a slight longer pause than usual between sections. Um, I hope you enjoy this recording of Station Island by Seamus Heaney. Station Island 1. A hurry of bell notes flew over morning hush and water-blistered cornfields, and escaped ringing that stopped as quickly as it started. Sunday. The silence breathed and could not settle back, for a man had appeared at the side of the field with a bow saw, held stiffly up like a lyre. He moved and stopped to gaze up into hazel bushes, angled his saw in, pulled back to gaze again, and move on to the next. I know you, Simon Sweeney, for an old Sabbath breaker who has been dead for years. Damn well you know, he said, his eyes still on the hedge and not turning his head. I was your mystery man, and am, am again this morning. Through gaps in the bushes, your first communion face would watch me cutting timber. When cut or broken limbs of trees went yellow, when wood smoke sharpened air or ditches rustled, you sensed my trail there as if it had been sprayed. It left you half afraid when they bade you listen in the bedroom dark to wind and rain and the trees and think of tinkers camped under a healed-up cart. You shut your eyes and saw a wet axle and spokes in moonlight, and me, streaming from the shower, headed for your door. Sunlight broke in the hazels. The quick bell notes began a second time. I turned at another sound. A crowd of shawled women were wadding the young corn, their skirts brushing softly. Their motion saddened morning. It whispered into the silence, Pray for us. Pray for us. It conjured through the air until the field was full of half-remembered faces, a loosed congregation that straggled past and on. As I drew behind them, I was a fasted pilgrim, light-headed, leaving home to face into my station. Stay clear of all processions, Sweeney shouted at me, but the murmur of the crowd and their feet slushing through the tender, bladed growth had opened a drugged path I was set upon. I trailed those early risers, fallen into step before the smokes were up. The quick bell rang again. 2. I was parked on a high road, listening to peewees and wind blowing round the car, when something came to life in the driving mirror. Someone walking fast in an overcoat and boots, bareheaded, big, determined in his sure haste along the crown of the road. So I felt myself the challenged one. The car door slammed. I was suddenly out, face to face with an aggravated man, raving on about night spent listening for gun butts to come cracking on the door, yeoman on the rampage and his neighbour among them, hammering home the shape of things. Round about here you overtook the woman, I said, as the thing came clear. Your locked dirge pilgrim haunts me every time I cross this mountain, as if I am being followed, or following. I'm on my road there now, to do the station. Oh, holy Jesus Christ, does nothing change? His head jerked sharply side to side and up, like a diver surfacing after a plunge. Then, with a look that said, who is this cub anyhow? He took cognizance again of where he was.
the road, the mountaintop, and the air, softened by a shower of rain, worked on his anger visibly until... It is a road you travel on your own. I, who learned to read in the reeks of flax and smelled hanged bodies rotting on their gibbets, and saw their looped slime gleaming from the sacks. Hard-mouthed ribbon men and orange bigots made me into the old fork-tongued turnco who mucked the buyer of their politics. If times were hard, I could be hard too. I made the traitor in me sink the knife. And maybe there's a lesson there for you, whoever you are, wherever you came out of. For though there's something natural in your smile, there's something in it strikes me as defensive. The angry role was never my vocation, I said. I come from County Derry, where the last marching bands of ribbon men on Patrick's Day still played their hymn to Mary. Obedient strains like theirs turned me first, and not the harp or forgiving eye and the Fernian strung. A lot of what you wrote I heard and did, this locked dirge station, flax pullings, dances, fair days, crossroads chats and a shaky local voice of education. All that, and always orange drums, and neighbours on the roads at night with guns. I know, I know, I know, I know, he said, but you have to try to make sense of what comes. Remember everything and keep your head. The old is at the, in the hedge, I said, mushrooms, dark clumped grass where cows or horses dunged, the cluck when pitch-lined chestnut shells split open in your hand, the melt of shells corrupting, old jam pots and a drain clogged up with mud. But now Carlton was interrupting. All this is like a trout kept in a spring on, or maggots sown in wounds for desperate ointment. Another life that cleans our element. We are earthworms of the earth, and all that has gone through us is what will be our trace. He turned on his heel when he was saying this, and, it, and headed up the road at the same hard pace. 3. I knelt. Hiatus. Habits after life. I was back among bead clicks and the murmurs from inside confessionals, side altars where candles died and insinuating slight intimate smells of wax at body heat. There was an active, wind-stilled hush as if in a shell the listened-for ocean stopped and a tide rested and sustained the roof. A seaside trinket floated then, and idled in vision like phosphorescent weed, a toy grotto with seedling mussel shells and cockles glued in patterns over it. Pearls condensed from a child invalid's breath into a shimmering arc, my house of gold that housed the snowdrop weather of her death long ago. I would stow away in the hold of our big oak sideboard and forage for it, laid past in its tissue paper for good. It was like touching bird's eggs, robbing the nest of the word wreath, as kept and dry and secret as her name, which they hardly ever spoke, but was a white bird trapped inside me, beating scared wings when health of the sick fluttered its prey for us in the litany. A cold draught blew under the kneeling boards. I thought of walking round and round a space utterly empty, utterly a source, like the idea of sound or like the absent sense in swamp-fed air above a ring of walk-down grass and rushes where we once found the bad carcass and scragged of hair of our dog that had disappeared weeks before. 4. Blurred swimmings as I faced the sun, my back to the stone pillar and the iron cross, ready to say the dream words, I renounce. Blurred oval prints of newly ordained faces. Father, pronounced with a fawning relish, the sunlit tears of parents being blessed. I saw a young priest, glossy as a blackbird, as if he had stepped from his anointing a moment ago. His purple stole and cord or cincture loosely tied. His polished shoes unexpectedly secular beneath a pleated lace hem alb of linen cloth. 
His name had lain undisturbed for years, like an old bicycle wheel in a ditch, ripped at last from under jangling briars, wet and perished. My arms were open wide, but I could not say the words. The rainforest, he said. You've never seen the like of it. I lasted only a couple of years. Bare-breasted women and rat-ribbed men. Everything wasted. I rode like a pear. I sweated masses. His breath came short and shorter. In long houses I raised a chalice above headdresses, in hoc signo, on that abandoned mission compound. My vocation is a steam off the drenched creepers. I had broken off from my renunciation while he was speaking, so as to clear the way for other pilgrims queuing to get started. I'm older now than you were when you went away, I ventured, feeling a strange reversal. I never could see you on the foreign missions. I could only see you on a bicycle, a clerical student home for the summer, doomed to the decent thing, visiting neighbours, drinking tea and praising homemade bread. Something in them would be ratified when they saw you at the door in your black suit, arriving like some sort of holy mascot. You gave too much relief. You raised the siege the world had laid against their kitchen grottos, hung with holy pictures and crucifixes. And you, he faltered, what are you doing here but the same thing? What possessed you? I, at least, was young, and unaware that what I thought was chosen was convention. But all this you were clear of, you walked into over again, and that God has, as I say, withdrawn. What are you doing, going through these motions? Unless... Unless... Again he was short of breath, and his whole fevered body yellowed and shook. Unless you are here taking the last look. Then, where he stood was empty as the roads we both grew up beside, where the sick man had taken his last look one drizzly evening where the tarmac steamed with the fast breath of spring. A knee-deep mist I waited silently behind him, on his circuits, visiting. 5. An old man's hands, like soft paws rowing forward, groped for and watered off the air ahead. Barney Murphy shuffled on the concrete. Master Murphy. I heard the weakened voice, bullying in sudden rage all over again, and fell in behind, my eyes fixed on his heels like a man lifting swathes at the mower's heels. His sockless feet were like the dried broad bean that split its stretches in a display jar high on a window in the old classroom. White as shy faces in the classroom door. Master. Those elders whispered. I wonder. Master. Rustling envelopes. Proffering them withdrawing, waiting for him to sign beside their mark, and, Master, I repeated to myself, so that he stopped, but did not turn or move, gone quiet in the shoulders, his small head vigilant in the cold gusts off the lock. I moved ahead and faced him, shook his hand. Above the winged collar, his mottled face went distant in a smile as the voice readied itself and hussed and scraped, Good man, good man yourself then lapsed again into the limbo and dry urn of the larynx. The Adam's apple in its weathered sack worked like the plunder of a pump in drought, but yielded nothing to help the helpless smile. Morning field smells came past on the wind, the sex cut of sweet briar after rain, new meadow hay, bird's nests filled with leaves. You'd have thought that the Anorish school was purgatory enough for any man, I said. You have done your station. Then a little trembling happened, and his breath rushed the air softly as sighs in his lost meadows. Birch trees of overgrown leech from moss, dairy herds are grazing where the school was, and the school garden's loose black mould is grass. He was gone with that, and I was faced wrong way into more pilgrims absorbed in this exercise. 
While they stood among their whispers and bare feet, the mists of all the mornings had set out for Latin classes with him, face to face, refreshed me. Mensa, Mensa, Mensum, sang on the air like a busy sharpening stone. We'll go some day to my uncle's farm at Tomb, another master spoke. For what is the great moving power and spring of verse? Feeling, and in particular, love. When I went last year, I drank three cups of water from the well. It was very cold. It stung me in the ears. You should have met him. Coming in as usual with the rubbed quotation and his cockeyed bird's eye, dabbing for detail. When you're on the road, give lifts to people. You'll always learn something. There he went, and his belted gabardine, and after him, another fosterer, slack-shouldered and clear-eyed. Sure, I might have known. Once I had made the pad, you'd be after me sooner or later. Forty-two years on, you've got no father. But after that again, where else would you go? Iceland, maybe? Maybe the Dordain? And then the parting shot. In my own day, the odd one came here on the hunt for women. 6. Freckle face, fox head, pot of the broom, catkin pixie, little fern swish. Where did she arrive from? Like a wish wished and gone, her I chose its secrets and whispered to. When we were playing houses, I was sunstruck at the basilica door. A stillness far away, a space, a dish, a blackened tin and knocked over stool like a tramp near the floor uncovered among dunes where the bent grass whispers on like reeds about Midas's secrets. Secrets. I shut my ears to the bell. Head hugged, eyes shut. Leaf ears. Don't tell. Don't tell. A stream of pilgrims answering the bell trailed up the steps as I went down them toward the bottle green, still shade of an oak, shades of the Sabine farm on the beds of St. Patrick's Purgatory. Late summer, Country distance, not an air, loosen the toga for wine and poetry, till Phoebus returning routes the morning star. As a somnolent hymn to Mary Rose, I felt an odd pang that packed bags of grain and the slop shafts of forks and hoes once mocked with me with, and my own long virgin fasts and thirsts, my nightly shadow feasts haunting the granaries of words like breasts. As if I knelt for years at a keyhole, mad for it, and all that ever opened was the breathed on grill of a confessional, until that night I saw her honey-skinned shoulder blades and the wheatlands of her back through the wide keyhole of her keyhole dress, and a window facing the deep south of luck, opened and I inhaled the land of kindness. As little flowers that were all bowed and shut by the night chills rise on their stems and open as soon as they have felt the touch of sunlight, so I revived my own wilting powers and my heart flushed like somebody set free. Translated given under the oak tree. 7. I had come to the edge of the water, soothed by just looking, idling over as if it were a clear barometer or a mirror. Wayne's reflection did not appear, but I sensed a presence entering into my concentration. I am not being concentrated as he spoke my name. And though I was reluctant, I turned to meet his face, and the shock is still in me at what I saw. His brow was blown open above the eye, and blood had dried on his neck and cheek. Easy now. He said, it's only me. You've seen men as roar after a football match. What time it was when I was wakened up, I still don't know. But I heard this knocking, knocking, and it scared me, like the phone in the small hours. So I had the sense not to put on the light, but looked out from behind the curtain. I saw two customers on the doorstep, and an old Land Rover with the doors open, parked on the street. 
so I let the curtain drop. But they must have been waiting for it to move, for they shouted to come down into the shop. She started to cry then, and rolled round the bed, lamenting and lamenting to herself, not even asking who it was. Is your head astray, or what's come over you? I roared, more to bring myself to my senses than out of any real anger at her. For the knocking shook me, the way they kept it up, and her whinging and half-screeching made it worse. All the time they were shouting, Shop! Shop! So I pulled on my shoes and a sports coat and went back to the window and called out, What do you want? Could you quicken, quieten the racket or I'll not come down at all? There's a child not well. Open up and see what you've got. Pills or a powder or something in a bottle, one of them said. He stepped back off the footpath so I could see his face in the street lamp. And when the other moved, I knew them both. But bad and all as the knocking was, the quiet hit me worse. She was quiet herself now, lying dead still, whispering to watch out. At the bedroom door I switched on the light, and saw they didn't look for a chemist. Who are they anyway, at this hour of the night? She asked me, with the eyes standing in her head. I know them to see, I said, but something made me search and squeeze her hand across the bed before I went downstairs into the aisle of the shop. I stood there, going weak in the legs. I remember the stale smell of cooked meat or something coming through as I went to open up. From then on, you know as much about it as I do. Did they say nothing? Nothing. What would they say? Were they in uniform? Not masked anyway? They were barefaced, as they would be in the day. Shites thinking they were the be-all and the end-all. Not that it's any consolation, but they were caught, I told him and got jail. Beer-glimmed, decent, open-faced, he stood forgetful of everything now except whatever was welling up in his spoiled head, beginning to smile. You put on a bit of weight since you did your courting in that big Austin you got the loan of on a Sunday night. Through life and death, he had hardly aged. There was always an athlete's cleanliness shining off him, and except for the ravaged forehead and the blood, he was still that same rangy midfielder in a blue jersey and starched pants, the one stylist on the team, the perfect, clean, unthinkable victim. Forgive the way I have lived indifferent. Forgive my timid, circumspect involvement. I surprised myself by saying, Forgive my eye, he said, all that's above my head. And then a stun of pain seemed to go through him, and he trembled like a heat wave, and faded. 8. Black water, white waves, burrows snow-capped, a magpie flew from the basilica and staggered in the granite airy space I was staring into on my knees at the hard mouth of St. Bridget's bed. I came to, and there, at the bed's stone hub, was my archaeologist, very like himself, with his scribe's face smiling at a straight-lipped smile, starting at the sight of me with the same old pretense of amazement, so that the wing of Woodcurn's hair fanned down over his brow. And then, as if a shower were blackening already blackened stubble, the dark weather of his unspoken pain came over him. A pilgrim bent and whispering on his rounds inside the bed passed between us slowly. Those dreamy stars that pulsed across the screen beside you in the ward. Your heartbeats, Tom, I mean, scared me the way they stripped things naked. My band had failed too early in that visit. I could not take my eyes off the machine. I had to head back straight away to Dublin, guilty and empty, feeling I had said nothing and that, as usual, I had somehow broken covenant and failed an obligation. I half knew we would never meet again. Did our long gaze and last handshake contain nothing to appease that recognition?
Nothing at all, but familiar stone had me half numb to face the thing alone. I love my still-faced archaeology, the small crabapple physiognomies on high crosses, carved heads and abbeys. Why else dig in for years in that hard place in a muck of bigotry under the walls, picking through shards and William Mike cannonballs? But all that we just turned to banter too. I felt that I should have seen far more of you, and maybe would have, but dead at thirty-two. Ah, poet, lucky poet, tell me why what seemed deserved and promised passed me by. I could not speak. I saw a horde of black, bolstered axe heads, smooth as a beetle's back, a can of stone forced that might detonate the eggs of danger. And then I saw a face he had once given me, a plaster cast of an abbess done by the Gowran master, mild-mouthed and cowed, a character of grace. Your gift will be a candle in our house. But he had gone when I looked to meet his eyes, and hunkering instead there in his place was a bleeding, pale-faced boy, plastered in mud. The red-hot pokers blazed a lovely red in Joe Point the Sunday I was murdered, he said quietly. Now do you remember? You were there with poets when you got the word and stayed there with them, while your own flesh and blood was carted to Belgary from the fuse. They showed more agitation at the news than you did. But they were getting Christ's first-hand column. They had happened in on live sectarian assassination. I was dumb, encountering what was destined. And so I pleaded with my second cousin. I kept seeing a grey stretch of Loch Beg and the strand empty at daybreak. I felt like the bottom of a dried-up lake. You saw that, and you wrote that. Not the fact you confused evasion and artistic tact. The Protestant who shot me through the head I accused directly, but indirectly, you who now atoned perhaps upon this bed for the way you whitewashed ugliness and drew the lovely blinds of the purgatorio and saccharined my death with morning dew. Then I seemed to waken out of sleep among more pilgrims whom I did not know, drifting to the hostel for the night. 9. My brain dried like spread turf. My stomach shrank to a cinder and tightened and cracked. Often I was dogs on my own track of blood on wet grass I could have licked. Under the prison blanket, an ambush stillness I felt safe in settled round me. Streetlights came on in small towns. The bomb flash came before the sound. I saw country I knew from Glensham down to Tomb, and heard a car I could make out years away with me in the back of it like a white-faced groom, a hitman on the brink, emptied and deadly. When the police yielded my coffin, I was light as my head when I took aim. This voice from blight and hunger died through the black dawn. There he was, laid out with a drift of mass cars at his shrouded feet. Then the firing parties following the yard. I saw woodworm and gateposts and door jams, smelt mildew from the byre loft where he had watched and hid from field that his draped coffin would raft through. Unquiet soul, they should have buried you in the bog where you threw your first grenade, where only helicopters and curlews make their maimed music, and Schwangnam Mosque could teach you its medicinal repose until, when the weasel whistles on its tail, no other weasel will obey its call. I dreamt and drifted. All seemed to run to waste as down a swell of mucky, glittering floods, strange polyp floated like a huge crop magnolia bloom. Surreal as a shed breast, my softly awash and blanching self-disgust. And I cried among night waters. I repent, my unweaned life that kept me competent to sleepwalk with connivance and mistrust. Then, like pistol growing from the polyp, a lighted candle rose and steadied up until the whole bright-mastered thing retrieved a course and the current it had gone with where what it rode and showed. No more adrift. My feet touched bottom and my heart revived. 
then something round and clear and mildly turbulent, like a bubble skin or a moon in smoothly rippled lock water, rose in a cobwebbed space. The molten inside sheen of an instrument revolved its polished convexes full upon me, so close and brilliant I seemed to pitch back in a headlong fall. And then it was the clarity of waking to sunlight and a bell and gushing taps in the next cubicle. Still, there for the taking. The old brass trumpet with its valves and stops I found once in the loft thatch, a mystery I shied from then, for I thought such trove beyond me. I hate how quick I was to know my place. I hate where I was born. hate everything that made me biddable and unforthcoming. I mouth at my half-composed face in the shaving mirror, like somebody drunk in the bathroom during a party lulled and repelled by his own reflection, as if the canstone could divide a can, as if the eddy could reform the pool, as if a stone swirled under a cascade, eroded and eroding in its bed, could grind itself down to a different core. Then I thought of the tribe whose dances never fail, for they keep dancing till they sight the deer. 10. Morning stir in the hostel, a pot hooked on forged links, soup flakes, plumping water, the open door brilliant with sunlight, Path smoke rambling and a thud of earthenware drumming me back until I saw the mug beyond my reach on its high shelf. The one patterned with blue cornflowers, sprig after sprig, repeating round it, as quiet as a millstone. When had it not been there? There was one night when fit-up actors used it for a prop, and I sat in the dark hall estranged from it as a couple bowed and called it their loving cup, and held it in our gaze until the curtain jerked shut with an ordinary noise. Dipped and glamoured then by this translation, it was restored to its old hair-cracked doze on the mantelpiece, its parchment glazes fast, as the older surface once with Ronan's Sultan miraculously unharmed. That had been lost today and night under the lock water. And so the saint praised God on the lock shore for that dazzle of impossibility I credit again in the sun-filled door, so absolutely light it could put out a fire. 11. As if the prisms of the kaleidoscope I plunged once in a butt of muddied water surfaced like a marvellous lightship, and out of its silted crystal a monk's face that had spoken years ago from behind a grill spoke again, about the need and chance to salvage everything, to re-envisage the zenith and glimpse jewels of any gift mistakenly abased. What came to nothing could always be replenished. Read poems as prayers, he said, and for your penance translate me something by Juan de la Cruz. Returned from Spain to our chapped wilderness, his consonants aspirate, his forehead shining, he had made me feel there was nothing to confess. Now his sandaled passage stirred me on to this. How well I know that fountain, filling, running, although it is the night. That eternal fountain, hidden away, I know its haven and its secrecy, although it is the night, but not its source because it does not have one, which is all sources source and origin. Although it is the night, no other thing can be so beautiful. Here the earth and heaven drink their fill, although it is the night, so pellucid it can never be muddied, and I know that all light radiates from it, although it is the night. I know no sounding line can find its bottom, nobody ford or plummet's deepest fathom, although it is the night. And its current so in flood it overspills to water hell and heaven and all peoples, although it is the night. And the current that is generated there, as far as it wills to, it can flow that far, although it is the night. And from these two a third current proceeds, which neither of these two, I know, proceeds, although it is the night. This eternal fountain hides and splashes within this living bread that is life to us, although it is the night. 
hear it calling out to every creature, and they drink these waters, although it is dark here, because it is the night. I am repining for this living fountain. Within the bread of life I see it plain, although it is the night. 12. Like a convalescent, I took the hand stretched down from the jetty, sensed again an alien comfort as I stepped on ground to find the helping hand still gripping mine, fish cold and bony, but whether to guide or to be guided, I could not be certain, for the tall man that stepped at my side seemed blind, though he walked straight as a rush upon his ash plant, his eyes fixed straight ahead. Then I knew him in the flesh, out there on the tarmac among the cars, wintered hard and sharp as a blackthorn bush. His voice eddying with the vows of all rivers come back to me, though he did not speak yet, a voice like a prosecutor's, or a singer's, cunning, narcotic, mimic, definite as a steel nib's downstroke, quick and clean, and suddenly he hit a litter basket with his stick, saying, Your obligation is not discharged by any common right. What you do, you must do on your own. The main thing is to write for the joy of it, Cultivate a work class that imagines its haven like your hands at night, dreaming the sun at the sunspot of a breast. You are fasted now, lightheaded, dangerous. Take off from here, and don't be so earnest, so ready for the sackcloth and the ashes. Let go, let fly, forget. You've listened long enough. Now strike your note. It was as if I'd stepped free into space, alone, with nothing that I had not known already. Raindrops blew in my face as I came to and heard the harangue and jeers going on and on. The English language belongs to us. You're raking at dead fires, rehearsing the old whinges at your age. That subject, people stuff, is a cod's game. Infantile, like this peasant pilgrimage. You lose more of yourself than you redeem doing the decent thing. Keep at a tangent. When they make a circle wide, it's time to swim out on your own and fill the element with signatures of your own frequency. Echo sounding, searches, probes, allurements, elevator gleams in the dark of the whole sea. The shower broke in a cloudburst. The tarmac fumed and sizzled. As he moved off quickly, the downpour loosed its screen round his straight walk. Thank you. And on to the commentary for Station Island by Seamus Heaney. This is the longest poem I've recorded for this podcast. And I read it a couple of times before I recorded to see if I really did want to sit down and read this aloud. Because I quite enjoy this poem. It's not something I've read a lot of. Um, I mean, Open Ground by Shamatini is a collection of poems I've been reading for a long time. It's just sort of one of those collections that's just worth, you know, having in that sort of, you know, your shelf of books by your bedside that you just kind of dip into every now and then when you're not really sure what you want to read, so you just go back to kind of the, the tried-and-true authors, the ones who just always deliver good work. And Seamus Heaney's Open Ground has been one of those collections for me for a very long time. And I kind of have my dad to thank for getting me on to Seamus Heaney. Station Island, I also think, in the actual name of a collection of poems, because Open Ground is a selection of th- uh, 30 years of poetry, so I think Station Island's a title poem from that collection. And it's just, it's well told, um, I mean, it's Seamus Heaney, so the man knew how to tell a story, the man knew how to write poetry. Uh, there's this wonderful, um, not cons- inconsistent rhyme, there's just this kind of wonderful 
rhyme and rhythm to the poem. That, so when you're reading it, you get this really... It kind of moves you along because every now and then you realize something rhymes in this lovely lilting rhythm to some of the stanzas. Uh, the poem is actually about... And I'm going to read... I'm going to quote something from the Critical Guide to Station Island. Station Island is a long meditation on Seamus Heaney's own poetry. The poem sets forth a series of encounters with ghosts or remembered figures, many of them from Heaney's own life, some from his reading. The poem takes its title and major setting from Station Island in County Donegal, a devotional shrine. The stations there are fixed locations of prayer. The poem is, briefly, a parallel to Dante's Purgatorio. The eye of the poem is Heaney himself. A few of the ghosts are identified by the text or by Heaney's notes. What is more important is what they say to the poet. The advice and counsel they give him about how to write and how not to break covenants and fail obligations to himself, to his art, and to his culture. So every section is Heaney meets a ghost or a figure or sort of a remembered thing. Um, and I guess reading that it is parallel to Dante's Purgatory. That kind of makes things a bit more clearer when you read it. That's, I mean, I haven't read Purgatory in a long time, but you get the idea of he meets ghosts and he learns things as he keeps going. Um, I'm going to leave it there. If you have made it this far, I really appreciate you. I appreciate you even if you haven't made it this far. Thank you very much.